Welcome to Local Share Green Action Podcast. This show is produced by Go Green Locally, a 501c3 nonprofit providing tools and resources for people that are looking for ways to take even more successful local action that makes a difference for our people and our planet. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with a talented artist that created a podcast all about creative reuse of recycled materials. I'm speaking with Carla Brown with Trash Imagination. Carla Brown is a creative reuse artist who had a podcast called Trash Imagination, where she produced, recorded, and hosted 125 episodes on how to creatively reuse a huge number of different recycled materials. The podcast is on hiatus, but past episodes are still being accessed, and she is actively continuing to post her artistic reuse creations on social media. Her goal for Trash Imagination podcast was to have it be a creative reuse pep talk. She wants to help people who are on the journey to zero waste. Today, she continues that journey to make beautiful, useful items. Her current focus is on creatively reusing t-shirts and turning them into woven rugs and turning upholstery samples into storage containers. Carla is Canadian and American and grew up in provinces across Canada. She moved to Virginia in 1998, but continues the family tradition of rug hooking, stemming from her roots and family still living in Nova Scotia. She is a mom and often shares reuse projects that are easily accessible to people of all ages and abilities. Welcome to the show, Carla. Thank you, Jenny. Yeah, so I'm so excited to speak with you and find out more about your path of green action that led you to creatively recycling all types of materials into beautiful and functional items. So what planted the seeds for you to want to start taking some kind of green action initially? As you said in the intro, I'm from Canada and most of my childhood was in Atlantic Canada, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland. And that part of Canada that has a tradition of creative reuse. So there's a lot of people, it's part of life there, I would say. And so I grew up surrounded by that. Also, my parents are both makers and fixers, like they would definitely be constantly reusing. So that was just part of life. Um, And then when I was about 15, I went to a place called Pearson College, which is on Vancouver Island. And it is a school in a network of schools across the entire world that are focused on helping youth become change makers in the world. And one of the classes I took was art. And I liked my art class. But what I wanted to do to stand out was to try and use different materials than my classmates. So that was when I started making art from recycled materials. And then another thing that happened at Pearson that blew my mind was we have this thing called service week where we go do service somewhere in British Columbia and I got to go to an island called Hornby Island which is a zero waste island even then this was a long time ago and our project during that week we worked in their like their facility where they process things that would normally go to landfill and we made stuff and they had a free store and we were just labor to do the work but it was great to see that this island the entire community was focused on trying not to produce any waste so for example you would go to the grocery store on the island and everybody would be bringing their own pottery to fill with the liquid like 
honey and things like that. And the potters on the island was making the pottery. So just as a young person who had always grown up in a sort of typical community, this was like, wow. And so really, I would say Hornby was the biggest moment of wow. I grew up in it, but this was really a next level situation. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. We want to check them out. <laughs> Definitely. I haven't been back there since I was a teenager, but I would love to go back someday because, of course, my memories are a little fuzzy now that I'm 50 years old. <laughs> so when you found that you loved creating creative reuse projects, what helped you to decide like what types of things you wanted to make? Did you start with the recycling material first or did other things inspire you? And of course, that's after you, know, you were doing it as an assignment kind of thing. Yeah. When I was at Pearson College, that's when I started making art and I started with fibers, so fabric, because when I was growing up, my mom taught us how to do basic sewing and my grandmother taught me knitting. And it was also the easiest thing to access. I could just go to the thrift store or even take things that people didn't want at school. So that was mostly what I started using. But then later, I it was whatever showed up oh, this bicycle is no longer functional. I'm going to take apart this bicycle and see if I can reuse the parts. Or this, it was what was totally opportunistic, I would say. And Pearson College is an isolated place. Like it's out on, far away from a lot of stuff. So it was really whatever I could find on campus that I could use to make my art. As later on, now it's been decades, I would say I tend to, I tended to gravitate towards materials that for whatever reason, I felt like I could collect it in quantity. So either our family already purchases that object, so I knew we were going to keep purchasing it for whatever reason, or at a workplace, I could set up a collection and I noticed my coworkers were willing to bring that material. So for example, there was, I had a whole phase with plastic caps, like from plastic bottles. And I did that because our recycling in our community took the bottles, but not the caps. And because it was a different type of plastic. So I collected the caps and the caps were fun because they were different colors and shapes. And it was really easy to come up with craft ideas for them. So it was also keeping in mind, like what recycling programs already exist in the community and what doesn't exist. So I wouldn't tend to come up with projects for things that I felt already had a reasonably good chance of being recycled by the municipality. Oh, that's great. That's great. Totally finding the niche and the need. Yeah, and it was often like part of a, an existing thing that they, they maybe part of it was recycled, but not the whole thing. Yeah. Were there other artists in the same arena that inspired you? And if so, what about their work inspired you? When I was growing up, I didn't know of any creative reuse artists, unless you say the people living in Nova Scotia who were just living. Oh, uh, so in a way, I don't know if they would view themselves as artists. They were making rugs and quilts and things just because they needed them. I mostly knew fiber artists because that was people making things they needed. When I wouldn't say I understood or even maybe knew the words creative reuse until like 2012, like much later. And uh, that's when I started my blog, Trash Imagination Blog, because then I was like, oh, there's this concept of creative reuse. I really like that. I like that. I want to try and collect 
ideas around that. And and I wouldn't say I started following artists who said they were creative reuse artists until like social media existed. And then it was like, oh, wow, okay. And then I would follow them on Facebook or Instagram or whatever was being invented at the time. But before 2010, I don't think I really was following anyone who would call themselves a creative reuse artist. Yeah. I guess you've answered it. At what point, maybe how many years later, did you decide to host the podcast? So what year was that? Yeah. So I started blogging in 2012 and then the podcast I started in 2016 and I did it for three and a half years. Nice. Nice. So in your show, how often were you uploading episodes and how much time maybe on average did it take to do the research and recording? Yeah, I was posting every two to three weeks, so not weekly. And each episode was between 20 minutes and 30 minutes, that kind of thing. And I chose to do monologue style where it was just me talking. I didn't interview people. And the reason was... I had been a radio journalist and I know how much work it takes to set up guests. I'm I'm sure you know as much. And I knew that monologues would take less work for me. And this was not a paid thing. So I was like, okay, how much time do I want to dedicate to this? I decided to do monologues. Also, my goal for the podcast was not to talk to the artists, actually, even though you'd say, really? No, my goal was actually to research different types of creative use projects I might do. And through that, of course, I found artists and got lots of ideas. But my intention was not to build a community of creative reuse artists. It was to get ideas for myself. Great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Did you find that the podcast helped open doors to meet more and learn from other artists in spite of that not being your intention? Yeah. A little bit, but honestly, I've talked to only a handful of the artists that I featured in my podcast over the years, but my absolute favorites, the ones that over time I was like, wow, I really love this person's work. I would really pay attention if they were having any exhibits anywhere vaguely near my home, and then I would go meet them. But that only happened three times. And then I did have a few creative reuse artists like contact me. Not because they wanted to be interviewed, because they know I didn't do interviewed, but just they wanted to tell me they liked the podcast and they just wanted to chat because there's only so many people who do this. And yeah, I had some really nice chats with artists that way, but it was mostly like commiserating about, oh, this is a tough type of thing to be an artist doing this. And yeah, I didn't, I just, I never interviewed them live on the show. So yeah. Okay. What did you learn from having the podcast? I learned a lot about materials for sure, because mostly, as I said, I had only really worked with fabric and then I did get into plastics and I did do some cardboard or like milk jug, milk jugs are plastic, but like milk cartons. I started using some other materials, but mostly it was fabric, fiber stuff and plastic. But As you know, if you look through the episode list, I did many other materials than that and metals and woods and rubber and many types of plastic beyond what I personally had worked with and bubble gum, like fish scales. Like there were lots of different types of materials I will never use, but I just 
there's a term that I started to think about as I was doing the podcast, which was materials science. And so it's knowing what you can do with a certain kind of material and what you probably can't. You could experiment and see how far you could get with it. But And that awareness of what you can do with a material, that I would call it a form of intelligence. It's also just you get through experience. So I liked thinking about that because even if I wasn't going to creatively reuse bubblegum, I liked thinking about the process they went through to creatively reuse it. And then I would see, could I apply that to a material I'm more interested in using? Or did the outcome, did the art installation or the you know useful and beautiful object that they made, was that inspiring to me, even though I wasn't going to use that material? Even though I would say... I don't think there's a creative reuse artist community that is global that connects all types of materials. I think there are people like myself who are generalists and who are interested in this concept of material science. And that was, I realized as I was doing the podcast, I was really speaking to that kind of person, a person who's just interested in materials. And I think it's a very niche audience. I think most people are like, I'm really into fabric. I'm really into wood. I'm really into, and that's all. They just want to hear podcasts or watch videos about their material. And that is completely fair. But what I realized is that I was in a minority of people who just likes thinking about how you manipulate materials. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, And then the other thing I learned was that I didn't want to make a podcast anymore. (laughs) I learned that it takes a lot of time and I love, I was a journalist, so I love gathering materials, summarizing it, making it very consumable for other people. I do love that process, but I also realized I have only limited time in this life and I wanted to do a lot more making than I was doing. And and then the other thing I learned was that when you creatively reuse and you're collecting materials, it takes up a lot of space. And I realized I wanted a simpler life. I wanted to own less stuff. And I used all that good research I had done making the podcast to get the materials to the artists who I knew would use it. And then I stopped collecting it. So that was, I used to have many collections, little jars of things. And I draft, I would say 99% of it, I don't collect anymore. So that was a good process of experimenting. Did I want to work with bread tags? Oh, I tried one project. No, I don't. So then I stopped collecting that kind of thing. So, yeah. So I learned a lot of good things about focus and prioritization. Very interesting. With um, 125 episodes, what were maybe some of the most downloadable episodes and why do you think that they were so popular? Yeah. So the most popular uh, by a long shot <laughs> This is weird, but it is the toilet paper tubes episode. And I actually resisted doing that topic for quite a long time because I felt like toilet paper tubes, meaning just the cardboard inside the toilet paper, not like the entire with the paper on it. I learned not to call it toilet paper rolls because then people thought I meant I was talking about the whole thing. No, I didn't do that for a long time because that's a very easy thing to to recycle. You put it in your paper recycling and it has a perfectly good outcome. And I don't need to get very creative about what I do with toilet paper tubes. But people requested that episode. And then when COVID happened and everybody got obsessed with toilet paper, I decided, okay, this is the time. This is a sign. I Time for me to make this episode. So I did that episode and 
it is ridiculous how many times it's been downloaded. Like I would say 10 times the next topic, which is to me very strange, but whatever it is, what people Google and what they were thinking about at the time. But yeah, it, it basically went viral that episode compared to my normal amounts. So then the next ones are all way less, but the next most popular was stuffed toys. And I think that's a popular one because there's not really good way to recycle stuffed toys anywhere. Like I think because they're a mix of materials and they're plastic and people have too many of them. And yeah, so stuffed toys and then musical instruments. And that was about, so that topic was not, it was a little bit about creative reuse of musical instruments, but it was also about making musical instruments from recycled materials. So I think people, that's probably a lot of teachers or people who work with musical situations. And then fruit stickers. I think fruit stickers was popular because people are like, everybody probably encounters fruit stickers in their lives. And they probably, in most cases, throw it out. That's fair. It's a piece of plastic. But yeah, I did find some really cool uses for it. It's really great for collaging, basically, is what I would summarize with that. And then the fifth most popular was also a bit of a surprise to me, it's recycled art contests. So I did a research on all these different contests around the world that creative reuse artists could participate in. And they all took very different forms. Like they weren't just send in your picture and get a prize. Like some of them were a walk or some of them were, were an outdoor permanent exhibit versus an indoor temporary exhibit. Some of them are done through schools. And so I think that one was popular because people probably were like, I want to run one of those and then they'll get ideas for how to do it. So those were the top five topics. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So maybe what are some of the ways that you and others are, actually, let me back up for a second. What are maybe some challenges that you faced? Maybe doubts of others, your own doubts, financial hurdles, communicating when you were either doing your reuse artwork or hosting the podcast? I'll start with the podcast, which is that part of the reason I stopped doing it is because I really didn't get a lot of feedback from people. And sometimes I would directly ask for it and I still wouldn't. I would ask people to take a survey or whatever. And it just felt a little after doing this for a long time that it was like speaking into the void. And so for that, I would encourage you, if you love a podcast, let the podcast know, <laughs> podcast host I know you appreciate it because it does feel a little lonely sometimes, I think. And so is it possible? I was having some downloads, but not like millions. Like you hear people say, oh, I have millions of downloads. No. That was the main, I would say it just felt like I'm doing this and for myself, which is good, but at some point it's like, yeah, okay. And then I would say in terms of my artwork, so the challenge with making art from recycled materials is that people view it as trash. And so they expect to pay very little for it. And that's true of all art and all crafts. So it's not unique, but it's probably, it feels maybe more extreme when you're at a craft show and people are like, is that trash? <laughs> yes, but it's cleaned and it took hours and hours of work to transform it into this thing you see here. I stopped going to craft shows because there were, I had received lots of comments like that that were just not very nice. And also people asking if they could just take it, like they thought I was giving it out for free. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, that took 70 hours to make. No. And so I also get that people don't want to 
spend a lot of money. So I don't really get into selling my art as much anymore. I do. I, so I make these fluffy rugs from t-shirts, which I love to make. And I do sell those mostly just because I don't want to own a hundred fluffy rugs. So I sell those for, if I calculated how much I made, it would be like 50 cents an hour but I just sell them because I just I want to make them and I don't want to own them so <laughs> they're doing me a favor <laughs> to take it and allow me to continue to make them so those are, I would say those are the main frustrations okay what is something that you've learned having those challenges that maybe helped you personally and professionally as an artist yeah so I learned I uh, definitely don't make something if you don't love making it because it's not worth it financially. So I only make things repetitively if I just love. And there are things I love to make over and over again like the fluffy rugs and to me that's my meditation. That's actually a net gain of energy to make that. So I, I absolutely will not make something <laughs> if I don't want to make it because it's not worth it. Yeah, that's the main, I've, I've also learned, okay, so something is people like to give me things because they, they feel guilty that they want to get rid of it, but they don't want it to go to landfill. And they're like, oh, Carla will come up with a use for it. And so I've gotten better at saying no to things because I have enough in my house right now that I will be busy forever. Like I don't need to take more materials, but it can be very difficult because people are very emotional about the item they're trying to give you. And they really want me to take it. And so it's learning how to say that in a nice way. Takes some skill. <laughs> That's also things besides, I'm guessing you're talking about maybe mementos or yeah, but more just art materials. Like they might have fabric or tubing or plastic things, or they just know they they know my work and they know I've used that material before. And so they say, well, Carla will use it. I, I didn't really enjoy making that project, so I'm not planning to make another one like it. So I don't really want your stuff. But they think that because I can that I should. <laughs> I don't know. But it's okay. And then this is getting into like my advice for people who do creative reuse, but I tended to collect things in the past before an idea, I had an idea of how I wanted to reuse it. And I've learned just don't do that because it's an unlimited quantity of things you could collect. So if I am going to collect a material, I start by actually making the project with the limited amount of material that I like can collect quickly to make sure that it's worth it before I go whole hog in collecting that item because more often than not I, I work with the material and I realize eh, I don't love this as much as other materials and so I'm not going to collect it so I, I think a lot of people in creative reuse and I know this from talking with people who listen to my podcast is they collect and collect and collect and they're very aspirational this is true of quilters who have giant fabric stashes too and knitters that have giant yarn stashes it's fun to collect but I would say to avoid being overwhelmed, definitely make it first, collect it second. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My own art background, I can really relate. <laughs> yeah. So what are maybe some of the ways that you and others are enjoying the rewards of your efforts? So me personally, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I'm thinking about is whatever creative or use project I'm going to get to work on. And 
for most of my life, working on this stuff has been my reward. After I do the things I have to do is I get to work on this. Now, as I've gotten older, I've also learned to sometimes actually do the art first, which is actually a hard thing to learn as a mom and a person who has a job or whatever. You have to sometimes say, I know so-and-so really wants me to complete that task, but it's my own self-care to work on this art. The way I first learned that is a cool thing, which is, so I really found it hard to prioritize making my art. And what I did was my grandmother, she lived in Nova Scotia at the time, and she loved getting mail. And so I decided that each month I would make her something. So because it was for her, I could prioritize it. Like it was I could sometimes do the art before I would do other more responsible things <laughs> because it was going to be her monthly gift and she was looking forward to it. And that was good. That taught me to have a discipline around prioritizing the art. So I would say it's, if you can't just do it because you love to do it, maybe you can find someone who becomes your muse like my grandmother and will give you the impetus to prioritize it. So that's good. One way to do it. Sometimes people ask me what's next for you in terms of creative reuse. And I think I'm at the point where what I'm making makes me really happy. And so I don't want to keep trying lots of different materials. It was a big wide funnel and now the funnel has gotten smaller and I'm really happy about that. Um, so there's a more peacefulness to it, I would say. And so that's really good. The only sort of creative reuse goal I have on my horizon right now is there are a few communities in the world that have made like a whole neighborhood dedicated to creative reuse. And I would really like to go visit those. There's one in Sweden and one in Japan. So that would be like, not because I think I could make one of those. I would love to make one of those, but that's whew, a big dream. But even if I could see it, I think I would find that really joyful. Yeah, yeah I think that's people that bought some of your rugs and some of the things that you've made. People Certainly lots of people have bought them and I, they tell me they like them, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, it's a rug. <laughs> it's not like changing their life. <laughs> and I did many things during this time that I've been doing trash imagination, like with youth, I would go to maker fairs. I used to organize green tours. So there were lots of communities of people that we, that I did many experiments about experientially enjoying creative reuse and I'm sure they enjoyed all the things we did and yeah thanks thanks if your ideas your experience and your wisdom were all wrapped up in seeds of potential action for you to give to others what advice would you give to someone that is also considering this so I interpreted this question to mean like somebody who maybe doesn't currently make art from trash and who's thinking about doing it um, and so what I would say is whatever material has caught your eye for whatever reason, either your family is generating it and you're like, I really should find a use for this, or you just think it's beautiful or interesting. Before you start collecting it in quantity, just try making a test balloon of a project and see how fun it is for you. And if it gives, of course, when you're learning, the learning curve is steep and maybe you'll be like, oh, I'm terrible at this. So don't judge it based on how hard it is, but just judge it based on how happy it makes you to just work with that material and play with that material and 
course, if you can find an artist who works with that material, that'll get you further along. And there's lots of ideas in my past episodes of my podcast. But I would say don't start with collecting, start with making. And if you have collected some stuff and you feel bad because it's taking up space in your house, you can find an artist who wants it. Like I, there's artists that work with everything. And then there's also this concept of a creative reuse center. So they are all across the world. And these are like secondhand stores that focus on art supplies, but also plastic caps and red tags and all the kinds of things that people tend to collect. And they are quite happy to take your collections and help you let go of maybe something that wasn't a realistic dream, but it makes you feel like, yay, some artist is going to have fun with this material. Yeah, I would love to see one of those in every town. <laughs> yeah, they're great. I love visiting them and I uh, have visited many of them. And they're, it's just a lovely, it's a, a great place. I don't know if I would want to work in there. I used to work when I was a teenager, I worked in a textile recycling factory for a summer. And wow, it's just the quantity of stuff is overwhelming. And uh, I can imagine that's what it's like working in one of those places. But I think some people just love sorting stuff. And I think that's the perfect job for them. So what resource maybe a book a website or a film has been particularly helpful or informative to your work? Uh, I think that when I'm trying to explain why I care about this to people, I think the two things I send them to is the story of stuff. You probably have had someone mention this in a previous episode. This is a video. It's about 20 minutes long and it's on YouTube. It's free. And it just talks about how the economy works and why if we just consume as we are it's not a good plan so story of stuff nice concise really great explanation and then now as i've been working on t-shirt recycling focus on that there's a really great ted ed talk called the life cycle of a t-shirt which is even shorter i think it's like five minutes but it really will make you reconsider buying a t-shirt ever again because it's pretty bad what it goes into making a basic t-shirt okay i'll definitely check that out so do you have any upcoming projects that you want to share with others or? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you're always welcome to check out Trash Imagination. I mostly post on Instagram and Facebook, and that's where I post like, like whatever I'm making right now. As I said, I would love to visit those two creative reuse districts um, some, someday. Maybe someday I'll get there and check them out. And yeah, I don't think I will ever go back to making the podcast, but those episodes are up there. And it's particularly if you need inspiration on a specific material, it's a good resource for you. Yeah, that's great. I think it's, it becomes a forever resource for people that want to that's right. delve into this. And yeah, and I'm wondering in your career, you have children, did you see that the school systems or teachers were very often using reuse materials in any of their projects or if it was more like scouts or other peripheral kind of groups that might consider that? I, I have helped many teachers and scout groups <laughs> over the years. Yeah, I, I've been a guest speaker so many times for youth groups. I have three projects that I bring based on the age of the people I'm going to talk with and I I have them ready to go because at any time I get asked and that's I enjoy doing it I I used to 
volunteer at my kids' school in the art class and try to encourage them to rethink the projects. And, and the teachers were, teachers have so much going on already. So the teachers are happy to do it if I'm willing to do all the work of bringing the materials. But if teachers have to get in the business of collecting materials, that is just too much of a burden on them. And I totally get that. <laughs> that is not fair. So, but many teachers were open to, they told me what the project was. And I was like, there's a way to do that where we do it entirely from trash and let me do all that work for you. They were more than happy to have me do that work. But it is. It takes work to collect and clean and prepare and yeah. Another reason I don't take collections is because people don't necessarily clean things at the level that I would clean them and they don't sort them in a way that's helpful. So yeah, they just want to, yeah, again, I feel like that's putting the burden on the teachers to, to direct them to the schools unless you are volunteering at the level I was, which is basically to manage the whole activity for the teachers. Yeah. Makes sense. And yeah, so I guess we can find your work and your podcast is, I guess, everywhere, right? Apple. and Yeah. If you go to normal podcast feeds and then also you can just go listen to it at my website, trashimagination.com. There all the episodes are up there too. And do you also post on your website, your current projects as well as? I haven't been because there, like at this point, I'm making the same things over and over again. So I just post those on social, which is a more fleeting. Here's what I made today situation. Whereas a blog, I've done whole blog posts on this is how I make a fluffy rug. Here's what's, and I actually have an online course that you can take where you learn how to make a fluffy rug. It's a lot of work, but if you really want to do it, you can. But uh, yeah, so I don't repetitively post what is a fluffy rug because I feel like I've blogged it very well. So right. also blogs are not as big these days as they used to be. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. I really appreciate it. If you haven't yet visited your local Green Online Hub, then please visit gogreenlocally.org and check out the directories for events, groups, businesses, online resources, and local support listings for your area. If you find something is missing, then let us know or just log in and add it. These are community free sharing directories.